0: Welcome back, everybody, to the start of the second semester of No Cure for Curiosity. I am Shani Luft. Today, I'll be speaking with Stephanie Brem. She is a faculty instructor at Northwestern's Master of Science in Higher Education Administration and Policy Program and Associate Chair at Hobart Wounds Residential College. She earned her PhD in Religious Studies at Northwestern in 2017, where she specialized in American religious history and media and popular culture. In 2019, she published America's Most Famous Catholic According to Himself, Stephen Colbert and American Religion in the 21st Century. And I also invited my friend Mary Ellen O'Donnell, who completed her PhD along with me at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill in Religion in America. Mary Ellen published a fantastic book, Ingrained Habits, Growing Up Catholic in Mid-20th Century America, and she teaches at the Department of Theology and Religious Studies at Villanova University. The Colbert Report ran from 2005 to 2014, and it's a little hard to describe. He was portraying a character that was satirizing uh, Bill O'Reilly, but Stephen Colbert's actual personality and identity, his feelings about America, his Catholic identity, all get wrapped into the show. I was a fan of the show, and so I jumped at the opportunity to talk to Stephanie and Mary Ellen about the place of contemporary Catholicism, where we are politically, and what influence the Colbert Report is having on our national political conversations today. Your book is about media studies and humor studies. Uh, you also talk about the culture wars, uh, the history of American Catholicism, uh, religious media, infotainment. Can you explain what infotainment means and, and why it's relevant to, to understanding Colbert?
1: Yes. So infotainment has, is a term that's been around probably since the 70s, but it's the merging of information and entertainment. So people usually use it pejoratively, right? They're using it as like, oh, that's infotaining, not informational. Um, and so the daily show and the Colbert report used that infotaining as their mechanism for their fake news shows, which were actually quite informative, um, and how many people in the past 25 years have been receiving their news. But I have to
2: ask too, in some ways, the, the, the language of humor is one language that you're speaking in, but then the idiom of Catholicism, you've got to take that on too. Right. So was that something that
1: you had had some background in or um, had you studied it? My mom is Catholic. My dad, my sister and I are Jewish. We come from an interfaith family and we do all of it. So my mom was teaching CCD when my dad was president in the synagogue. We have priests over for Passover and rabbis over for Christmas. So I have been immersed in a Catholic world as long as I've been alive, but I have always been an observer. Of it, you know, Jesus is mommy's God kind of thing, but that is the personal basis I have in it. And then Florida State, there were really great Catholic scholars, people who study Catholicism, like Amy Colinger, and I worked with Bob Orsi and Sarah Taylor at Northwestern, and they both have experience in examining Catholic worlds.
2: The other interesting thing is, that I just want to pick up on what you were talking about with his the, how people sort of were finding what they wanted to find, right, and identifying. It's it's just masterful this this use of religion and this complicated Catholic identity. And Stephen Colbert had this kind of Mm chameleon-like aspect that you could find, you know, if, if you wanted to sort of take him at face value, you could have that aspect of it. Or, you know, if you're saying, okay, no, this is really, he's sort of poking fun at this. um, You could go in that direction. So it's pretty amazing.
1: People, I think, were more confused by his religious identification. There were so many more articles that said, no, he's really Catholic in real life because he was a litmus, litmus test. You could say, okay, I think he's an atheist. Okay, I think he is conservative Catholic. Okay, I think he is a liberal Catholic, progressive Catholic. Like he fit everywhere along this spectrum um, and people could read him however they wanted.
0: One thing I learned in your book, Stephanie, is um how beloved Stephen Colbert is among Catholic clergy. Yes. Right? The National Catholic Reporter made Stephen Colbert the runner-up person of the year. Uh, the winner, in case anyone's curious, was Pope Francis. <laughs> he seemed really, he ha- and continues to be really beloved by Catholic clergy.
1: Um, he loves clergy, right? Like, which you know, reading Mary Ellen's book makes a lot of sense, right? He grew up in this fifties and sixties, you know, his older siblings were born in the fifties. He was born in the sixties, but in this mentality where he, his world was enveloped by Catholicism and, you know, priests and clergy after his dad died, they were coming over and, you know, being male role models. His mom would ask that of them. So there's definitely this, um, he has an affinity for Catholic male authorities and they, they share that affinity. And it, I don't know, I don't believe that, and especially not now with his new show, pro, uh, conservative Catholics don't agree with that, right? But progressive Catholics do. So I think it fell more along political lines than solely religious identification lines.
0: So let's get into that. I'm really I'm curious um, about uh, similarities and differences between the character Colbert's Catholicism and the real guy's Catholicism, right? The real the real performer. Yeah. Um, uh, because as we were saying earlier, they're not opposite. Uh, uh, opposite presentations. He, uh, the performer Colbert in an interview once said uh, that he sometimes would put his uh, true beliefs into the mouth of the character, and that and that other times it, he it, he was you know putting beliefs into his mouth that he was sort of critiquing or commenting on. Um, right. So, uh, how would you compare and contrast the real Catholicism of the performer versus the character that he was portraying? Is it just liberal versus conservative or something else?
1: Not not entirely. So I think his um, personal Catholicism, it is more emphasizing the heritage Catholicism that he grew up with. You know, he, he only talked about the sexual abuse crisis, the clerical sexual abuse crisis a handful of times and only one entire segment in nine years when like, this is a nine year period where this is happening. I was most surprised in doing my research because I had always remembered it as being more there, right? That he had always talked about the sexual abuse crisis. And when I looked back, he didn't because I was interpreting it with a liberal lens and assuming he's, you know, combating the institution, but he's not. I think his personal Catholicism really is devoted to the institution. That's so interesting too.
2: Yeah. I was curious about that too, In, in that section about the sexual abuse was so enlightening really. Cause it was like, how did, how did he let this go in some ways, you know? Um, Cause it was just set up for that. But, but it, what's interesting is, is this idea that in your book you do so beautifully show how he is wrestling with the structures, like the church, right. And not exactly the faith. So he's not exactly taking on any kind of doctrines or dogmas per se, but he is taking on the structures. And yet at the same time, he has this kind of love for it, right? Yeah. I mean, he, so he loves, he, he does have this ultimate respect for the the priests and the clergy and therefore the hierarchy.
1: Exactly. It's the same way I, I saw him doing with government. I see the real Colbert. He, he loves America. He's very patriotic, right? He's against aspects of the system that he doesn't see as working, or actually that he sees as hypocritical. And people, you know, they want to see his story as one of overcoming suffering, right? With his parent, his father and his brothers uh, dying in a plane crash when he was 10, right? And so this redemptive quality, he tried to like lay low with that, um, right? Like he's, he would often, his theology is one of joy, which, I don't think is solely, I don't think that's how every human sees Catholicism. Absolutely. And coming out of when he came out of, in some ways, it's shocking
2: that that, that's where he arrived really. But in, and so in both the joy, but then that deep respect for the suffering, like the discussion that you have about his conversation with um, Biden. And I think it was 2015. Mm -hmm. Um, That was such a powerful, poignant moment, right? That you know, these, these two people have had this kind of intense suffering and they both have this Catholic connection and
1: he finds a way to sort of make room for that. Yeah, exactly. Right? Uh, there was an interview with Anderson Cooper after the book was done and I couldn't include it anymore. Uh, Anderson's Cooper mother had just passed away and Colbert's mother had passed away a few years before. So they had this really intense conversation about like, mothers and religion and faith and and suffering and joy. And it was like a really poignant moment. And he's having these out of character. His Catholicism was not as progressive as the progressives would like and not as conservative as the conservatives would like.
0: So when Colbert, I want to talk about Catholic comedy. When Colbert is telling jokes, some of which are about Catholicism or about the Catholic church or about Catholics, what is fair game for him to mock versus not right? Like what, what is okay. What did you get a sense of sort of where he um, he felt comfortable critiquing or ridiculing a or on versus things like you talk about the sex abuse scandal, which he just avoided talking about mostly for nine years.
1: Yeah. Well, like Mary Ellen said, he, I think he felt okay pointing at the hypocritical aspects of the institution or of specific individuals, but not at the theology itself. I think the things that I found really interesting were that some of the jokes he made about Christianity were less Catholic specific. And when he did Catholic jokes, they were about his own identity or his heritage. So like when he was interviewing another Catholic who had a large family, he would do Catholic names off. Can you name all your siblings who can name their siblings the fastest, right? Um, those kinds of 1950s, 60s, like mid 20th century jokes that make sense in a Catholic enclave, right? That don't make sense if you've never met a Catholic before, right? I loved the the
2: segment where where he gives up Catholicism for Lent, and then he goes on this Catholic bender. And I mean, and, and so it was that sort of you know, he just goes through litanizes all these things that he's done, all these Catholic things he's done. And so, as a Catholic who is like, "Oh yeah, I know that. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it works." And then from somebody who's like, "Oh, those crazy Catholics! Look at all those those crazy things they do. It works." And so you have this kind of like that insider, like, "Oh, I know the lingo. He can yeah. make fun of it, and then you can laugh with him if you're an outsider or an insider, right?"
3: During the Lenten season, it's traditional for every Catholic to give up something that is important to him or his self, and it's got to be something that means something big to them. Okay, something that really matters, something it would be painful for them to do without. So, for the next forty days, I am giving up Catholicism. <laughs> It's a difficult sacrifice, but that just shows my devotion to the great religion that I no longer practice.
1: It works on so many levels, right? Like, it works for people who say, I don't know what Catholics do, but there's a Catholic materiality that is different than white Protestantism. And I know that that's a difference, right? And it works for Catholics who say, I know exactly what he's talking about.
0: Absolutely. With regards to, so when he, a couple times in the book, you mentioned uh, Colbert would sometimes joke about um, Pope Benedict's shoes. Apparently he had expensive mm-hmm. red leather Italian shoes.
1: They are Pradas.
0: <laughs> but is that the only critique Colbert had uh, of Benedict? In other words, was it just, was, was the point of that joke, the kind of hypocrisy of uh, lack of humility, um you know, f- from someone who is professing Christian faith,
1: yeah, and I also think the you know the idea of people who take orders lack you know the lack of mm-hmm. now of poverty, right? um i think I think it goes shows opulence of the church, right that um, but I also think you know when he when Francis came around, Pope Francis, he put them in contradiction with one another, and so. Um, Pope Francis would be the Jedi, and Pope Benedict would be the Sith Lord, right? Like he would actually have these Star Wars comparisons, right? Um, that that demonstrate a good versus evil understanding. And I think it was more that he was tapping into the larger ethos—not even necessarily a Catholic ethos, but like a generational and um, and global understanding of. Francis is a Pope of the people, right? And playing into those stereotypes of them. I don't think he was adamantly against Benedict any more than he's, you know, I think people love Pope Francis and he was playing with that.
0: But among American Catholics, that seems to reflect something that's actually, that I perceive happening in uh, at least American Catholicism. There are um, a group of Catholics who seem to favor Pope Francis and a group of Catholics who seem to favor Pope Benedict and Colbert got to, gets to portray uh, each of them.
2: Yeah. There's definitely teams these days, right? There are definitely teams. Shani, you point you know, that, that Colbert gets to take both of these uh, I think is, is so fair, but it does. It certainly highlights that idea that like, it's, you're kind of an either or right. Yeah. Um, so if you're Team Benedict, it's going to be hard for you to really come around on, on Francis and what he's doing. And if you're Team Francis, it's you have a hard time sort of trying to relate to everybody in this universal church, right? Um, and so, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how that so parallels the political situation, too. You know, when you were saying, Stephanie, how Colbert, excuse me, the character was saying... Um, Benny's my guy. I couldn't help but think like, oh my gosh, does that set up all the people who say like, well, Trump's my president. Right. Um, in some ways we have this like parallel divide that's happening. It's crazy.
1: Definitely. Yeah. And I, I think because of the way Catholicism is part and parcel of the political system of the U S especially now, right? Like conservative Catholics align more with evangelicals and certain Mormons than they do like, and progressive Catholics align more with, you know, some Methodists and, and Jews, right? Like it's, there's the idea of a universal church has never been with, with one sole um, message, right? Like, yes, the inst- there's an institutional message the same way there's an experienced message.
0: The next thing I want to talk about related to um, Catholic comedians is how any of them address the sex abuse scandal. It seems to me like Catholic comedians fit into two categories. There are people like Bill Maher who use the Catholic sex abuse scandal to just bludgeon Catholicism. And then on the opposite end are people like Jim Gaffigan and Stephen Colbert who don't talk about it at all, or when they do... um, they talk about it very rarely. They don't use it to damage the institutional church or critique the church. It doesn't mm-hmm. undermine their faith right? in any way. It doesn't cause them to question their um, their relationship to the church.
1: At least not outwardly. We don't know what, yeah.
0: Right. At least not in the way yeah. that yeah they're willing to discuss or that they ever have. And it struck me that there doesn't seem to be anything in between that. It's like the only options are Um, use the sex abuse scandal as a way to demonize the church or tread very, very lightly Mm. and, um, and, and refer to it as little as possible. Only if you have to, Um, I don't know, maybe that's because it's just not territory for comedians. It's just, it's a real, it's a hard thing to make funny. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that?
2: I have to say that that was initially what I was thinking too. I mean, how do you make it funny? Right. Because on, you know, you just, there's no way to address the horrors of it without acknowledging the suffering of it. Um, And so, you know, clearly you have all sorts of ways of of acknowledging hypocrisy within it, right? Of of these people who are claiming to be the holders of all, all morality and the teachers of all the things that we should and should not do Mm -hmm. um, you do doing the most horrific things. Right. Um, And so there, you know, you can imagine like, Oh, there's an angle for making fun, but at the same time, like when you think through, okay, what actually happened? um, I don't know how you get to the other side. Right. I don't know what you think, Stephanie.
1: I agree. And I, you know, for me, the, the other option, like if, if we're, I would see the people who tread lightly as the middle path, And the other option Mm -hmm. would be apologists, right? And nobody's doing that,
0: right? Not in comedy, (laughs) Um, anyway. Yeah,
1: definitely not in comedy. And so the critical part, like some people are using it to under, like undercut religion. That's definitely Bill Maher. And others are just using it because they want to undercut. Any institution, and it's like a, a marker and signifies institutions that are bad, right? Um, and then those that tread lightly, I still think, are the ones that for whom the theology and the faith are not to be mocked.
0: I'm curious if you've found that Colbert is influential. And by that I mean, is do you think he has actually done anything to shape public perception on Catholicism? <laughs>
3: Speaking of awards, the Oxford English Dictionary has named its word of the year for 2016, and it's post-truth. And I am pre-enraged. First of all, post-truth is not a word of the year. It's the two words of the year. Hyphens are for the week. Second, post-truth is clearly just a rip-off of my 2006 word of the year, truthiness. Which...
0: One of the things your book ends with is um, a question that gets raised about whether Colbert is the um, harbinger of Donald Trump. And I've heard the performer Colbert talk about the fact that there were like concepts that his character introduced, like truthiness, that he has yeah. heard Trump talk about or tweet about. And so uh, Stephen Colbert, the performer does himself see a connection between the character he portrayed and the, I don't know, the the public presentation of Donald Trump. So I'm curious what you think about. Yeah. Is Colbert influential in terms of politics? Has he influenced American Catholicism? Uh, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think he's definitely influenced politics. Um, I think I think um, that was his goal. and so any other influence was a byproduct. And I think that's how Catholicism fits in with it. So I think for many Catholics, he, and only for Catholics, he was able to really speak to an experience that others had. And so people felt an affinity for that. There, there still are. One of the reasons why my book is necessary is that there were so many people who said, but he's not really Catholic, like in real life. Like that unknowing and that unawareness of his um, Catholicism, is still prevalent. So I don't think he actually changed how we think about Catholicism. I think he affirmed ways to be Catholic for certain Catholics. Um, And I think he brought to the forefront certain Catholic ideas that weren't necessarily given play elsewhere. So like James Martin talking about social justice, right? I don't know if that being seen as a Catholic theme was happening in other late night shows or, or infotainment shows.
2: To follow up on this because Shani, I had the same question, and
1: and Stephanie, you sort of set us
2: up by question like setting up this question about you know, is it possible that this uh emphasis on truthiness um may have in some ways paved a road to an election of Donald Trump, right? Like maybe not that direct, but I I you know, I wonder is there something to this um buying into We just want to believe the stuff that we want to believe.
1: Yeah. And I I think also, for those who agree with the human Colbert politically, I think Colbert, the character's truthiness, desensitized them. And so the idea was, I think for many, Trump's not really a threat. This is a joke, right? And so the idea of taking this person humorously made it so that he was less scary. Right. Right. And it was less um, important. And I think for those who don't agree with Colbert, the human politically, it was, well, we've seen this before. This is exactly, you know, I feel it in my gut. Right. Like the way that Colbert mocked George W. Bush became then the language that was able to be used later on with Trump um, about my reality is different than your reality. My truth is different than your truth. Um, and yeah, so I, I don't think Colbert alone mm-hmm. did this, right? Like,
2: <laughs> no, I'm certainly not,
1: vote, I not. He has two people, right? He still only has one vote as a very sister. true. And but I do think there was a desensitization. I think it was in the ether that a bombastic person could be beloved, right? Yeah, right. Um, and I think the way that he approached the cult, the character approached truth definitely shaped fake news going forward.
0: Stephanie N. Brem is the author of America's Most Famous Catholic, according to himself. Marilyn O'Donnell is the author of in Habits, Growing Up Catholic in Mid-20th Century America. It's fantastic to talk yeah. to you both uh, about uh, uh, American Catholicism, about media, about the field of religious studies. Uh, this is a great conversation. Thank you both so much.
1: Thank you. This is wonderful.
2: This was a blast. Thanks, Shani. Thanks, Stephanie.
0: I hope you enjoyed the first episode of the second semester of No Cure for Curiosity. We have some great conversations lined up for this season. I'm really looking forward to sharing them with you and getting your thoughts and feedback on our Facebook page, No Cure for Curiosity. I'll see you in two weeks.
1: This podcast is brought to you by University College at University of Wisconsin, Stevens Point. Our mission is to provide coordinated, intentional, and inclusive services and opportunities through our core values of connecting, supporting, collaborating, and engaging. Learn more about UW-Stevens Point and all our programs at uwsp.edu.